So far we covered the first six stages and tonight I want to review the six stages. The choice I'm doing of course is subjective, maybe other things were more helpful for you, but the second part we can leave for questions and comments. And we have one more meeting and next time I want to summarize uh, stage seven to nine by going through the material around seven to nine I saw uh, yeah I saw that the techniques or the approaches and attitude attitudes they are all covered in the training of the six stages. So from stage seven to nine, you have to do something difficult, and that is you have to unlearn meditation. That's very difficult for, for us because we are a culture of fixing, controlling, trying to get somewhere, doing things. And then in stage seven to nine, it's about exploring, letting go and effortless meditation. Also, I got a bit uncomfortable because it's like I would talk about something I'm not so familiar with in my own experience. So in a way I became also a bit interested in, in reading this. this I, I didn't have so much interest in reading these chapters because it was kind of okay. Yeah, it's good to know there's something ahead. It's good to have a map, but um, that's not where I am. And that makes me always a bit uncomfortable uh, in, my, in my teachings when I um, just read something and pretend or uh, just present it. Okay, this is what is, what is in the books. But Actually, you could read it yourself. As always, we will start with uh, the entry protocol that was part of the teachings on the first stage. And here are three parts. The first is calming down, shifting from, be from doing to being, checking in as best as you can bring some warmth into the into the moment noticing what is happening and then the second part is the mental bonding process where we connect with the best in us through the help of a of a symbol through the help of a projection. 
And the third part in, these, in this entry protocol is to connect with your intention, starting by, so why am I doing this? And based on that, broadening this, broadening your intention, widening, widening the circle, the circle of love, the circle, the circle of, the circle of why are you practicing? So let's take some time to shift and check your posture and if you like you can close your eyes. Noticing what you bring with you, noticing the weather, the inner weather. And naturally you become more aware of your body. There is a sense of dropping into the body or sliding into the body with awareness. Noticing the breath, the aliveness in the body. A few moments of being with yourself without pressure.
allow yourself to take thoughts less serious When you notice that you're entangled in the inner dialogue or in the mental images, you emphasize the hands, the belly, the breath. possible with warmth or with friendliness. You notice that you are trying to push something away or you're grasping for feeling better. With the out-breath you relax that grasping, you relax that resistance.
then in the space in front of you, you feel the presence of your mentor. Could be also a few male, female, Buddhist or non-Buddhist. For example, the Buddha, Kamapa, Dalai Lama. And without trying to force anything to happen, allow yourself to feel, hear, smell, see the warmth and the kindness, the wisdom. Knowing it's your warmth and kindness and your wisdom. It's like bathing in the sun with your whole body. And whatever is there for you, you just hold it into this sun, into the warmth, into the wisdom. Surrendering. like taking a warm bath in kindness, in warm-heartedness, where you feel that something within you is relaxing, softening. like a child sitting in the lap of father or mother, feeling safe. 
connect with that which is bigger than you, bigger than the miserable I. And then these mentors, they dissolve into the warmth, into the light, and it enters your body at the heart level. Your heart opens like a flower, and you become aware of the Buddha inside. core of your being. You shift your sense of identity from the problematic eye, the roles, the habits, the feelings, to the source. the light, the warmth starts to fill your whole body. Pouring out to the pores of your body. <coughs> Be the source of warms in your life, be the source of light in your life. the sky, not the clouds.
get a sense of the Buddha inside. Is prior to all experiences. your experience and what is happening in your life through your Buddha eyes, through your Buddha heart. then I invite you to align yourself with the Bodhisattva path. The vow never to give up, to work on yourself, step by step. to heal, to grow. For the benefit of all. see whatever is happening in your life, particularly the challenges as stepping stones to break open.
And then I would like to close with the first one, the Bodhisattva by Shantideva. As long as space remains, as long as there are living, suffering beings, as long I will remain to serve. And that's why we are here tonight. like us in this moment. There are many, many known and unknown bodhisattvas. Connecting with that same wish. In the beginning, it might be helpful to reflect a bit on what your experience is, how useful a map like this is. Is it useful for you? Where is it empowering and where is it rather burdensome or confusing or increasing rather 
the perfectionist or judgmental aspect of you. We should never forget that a map is never the territory. The map of Malmö is not Malmö. A map always has to simplify. And there's the wonderful teaching in the Buddhist uh, scriptures saying the finger pointing to the moon is not the moon. And we get in trouble, into troubles when we uh, cling to the maps. The worst case would be to become a fundamentalist. And then also we are all different. The journey is for is different for everyone. And there's different maps of awakening in different traditions. Even in the Buddhist tradition, there's different maps of awakening. I think it's some of the many things which are a bit personal also. Some people like maps. Some people like steps. Some people like the sense of progression. Some people need to have an idea of what they want, what they are heading towards to. And for some people, the things I just said become rather an obstacle. It's good to keep, uh, to hold these maps lightly. They are th- the, the purpose of these maps is to lighten you up, uh, not to put a burden on, onto you, and make it more complicated. Or In the beginning, in the first session, I presented you with this image that cultivating stable attention is like balancing a tray of glasses through a room with cats and furnitures. And part of getting started is intention. So the intention of of here in this case, uh, in the topic cultivating stable, stable attention, to actually sit down in your meditation practice and do that and 
learning how can you uh, cultivate that intention and how can you strengthen that intention so that in your meditation practice you're actually doing what you are intending to do. For that you need to understand why do I want to cultivate stable attention. And probably the most powerful source of that is bodhicitta, understanding based on your compassion, based on your based on your compassion that in order to really heal your mind, in order to really transform you need to stabilize the mind. You need to be passionate about it. It has to be important for you. Not because someone says so, or uh, it has to be important for you. I would say it has to be the most important thing in your life. more important than your children, more important than making money, this is not a, this is a a big thing. That does not mean have to give up all the all the other stuff of course not but we see all the other stuff as opportunities to wake up to grow up and stable attention is an important part of waking up and growing up You need to trust and understand that freedom is possible. That awakening is close and it's happening. And there's many, many others who have awakened. And that you, no matter how screwed up you are, You have the ha- the hardware for this, exactly like the Buddha. And this uh, this does not probably does not grow within us overnight. This understanding and this trust it's something we need to cultivate. And if you come to that place understanding this, what else to do with one's life? I mean, so that's that's the intention. So 
the topic of taking refuge, the topic of bodhicitta, going into a safe direction in your life and being passionate about it. Then in each meditation session, even throughout the session, reconnecting with that intention. Yes. What do you mean safe safe direction? Safe direction is that's Alex Burson translation of the Tibetan term taking refuge. So it is aligning the direction in your life with a safe place or you know walking into a safe direction. Let's say if you have a troublesome evening, an anxious evening, and your direction is the fridge, that's not a safe direction. It's a temporary relief of the anxiety through emotional eating. But it's not safe because it makes you fat. And it's not, it, it will be the same the next evening. So the next evening you have to walk to the fridge again. I mean, that's fine. We, we have this provisional things uh, to relieve our, ourselves. But 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 cultivating finding places which are safe and lasting and uh, more than a provisional relief from your immediate suffering. So that is called safe direction. A good way to contemplate is this safe direction is what do you want to turn to at the time of death, which will come soon much too soon. So let's say you have cultivated the habit to go to the fridge. You're not going to be able to do that. And then what? So that what you can turn to at the time of death that is the safe direction. And it's good to become familiar with that, create a habit of turning to that, so that when it's coming, it's happening automatically.
out of habit. So back to this image. And of course you can Contemplate if this image is helpful uh, for you. So one thing is what is on the tray and how do you keep engaged with it? So now the, the last weeks uh, we the invitation to put on the tray the breath in its different ways. There's different ways to put the, 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 the breath on the tray. So on the tray, put the breath on the tray. The, so that means what is the meditation object which you want to keep in the foreground of your attention? And how can you encourage your mind to stay engaged with this object? It's important here to understand we can't do it with control. Because these processes, which this mental process of stable attention, it's not something you can demand. It's not something, it's like a cat. You know, you can't, you can't demand your attention. Okay, listen, attention. This is the object. Now, look at it. Engage with it. You don't have control. The main reason for that is there's nobody there. There's no, there's no control center behind the scene of the mental processes. Like, you know, the boss who can say, okay, anxiety, you go there in the corner. Desire, you sit there. Cat, you know, so these are, these are the cats. You know? Desire, there in the corner. I have a big job to do here. You are quiet. So we have to be more, more, more skillful like that. What is important that keeping engaged with the object is one thing. The other is leaving enough conscious energy to be also lovingly aware of what is happening in peripheral awareness. So it's not like cultivating stable attention is this experience that nothing else is happening than the breath. It is balancing and keeping your attention engaged with the object, with the primary meditation object, while having an eye on all the cats. 
so that you can m move around when there's a cat lying in front of you or a cat is about to attack you. So there is a balance between the, the, the openness, relaxed, letting things be as they are, not trying to control the cats, but still keeping the primary meditation object in the foreground of your experience and keeping engaged with that. So how can you do that? That's like experimenting. So how so one part of that is curiosity. Keep you keep somehow try to become fascinated by the magnificent breath. As if it's the no, as if it's the treasure. How, so how can you, how can you, how can you make your mind uh, fascinated by the breath like that? What kind of inner dialogue? And in, as I said, initially it's okay to give this kind of little instruction to yourself. You want to be really like really fascinated by the by the by the exploration of the primary object and you go deeper and deeper you become you know one of the topics we have talked about a few times is the topic of dullness subtle and cross-dullness. So, if you are not really you know, passionate about the meditation object, your mind will become dull. And it will lead into a kind of pleasant state where you are a bit like in touch with the object, but it's, it's, not, it's not clear, it's not crisp. It's like quite superficial. You, it's a vague, uh, a vague experience of the breath. So this, this fascination, that gives you, uh, the, th this increases the conscious energy. We are, some, some, something in us is like an uh, wants to explore. So, something in us is curious, like a child. And if we stay like superficial, like kind of, okay, I have done this before, the breast, I know where it is, so, and then you bring your mind there, and it's kind of, yeah, it's a, like, okay, the breath, and yeah, and then, and then you get into this, um, like uh, dull, somewhat pleasant. So dullness is seductive. Somewhat pleasant state, 
where the mind is somewhat stable, but not vivid, not clear. There's no, it's not energized. So peripheral awareness. You learn to uh, allow the cats do their thing. And here that's thoughts, feelings, sensations in your body, which are not connected with the breath, sounds, uh, fantasies. So uh, particularly if you're not fascinated by the meditation object, your mind will throw up things from the subconscious. Your mind will say, that's boring, you know this already, but here, this is like the imagination of of the next retreat where you will be amazingly connected with the breath and that's that's much more interesting. So what you need to understand that that process actually has a good intention. The intention of all these processes is to protect you and to make you happy. They are just, they don't know better. This process thinks Ah, oh, this poor guy is bored, and and uh, it's so. I will come up with something better than that to make him happy. And the 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 anxiety process, you know, coming up with you no. Know, this is not bringing you anywhere. You need to talk. You need to think about how to pay this bill. That's much more important. Watching the breath is not going to help you. So, this process also has a good intention. You know, it, it it's like it, it's trying to, you know, take care of you. So they are not enemies. Just stupid. <laughs> So this is like, uh, you know, sometimes this is called equanimity. You cultivate equanimity, like it's like a, a kind ignoring. So, I think one uh, helpful. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So, I think one uh, for me helpful, and I think it's it's really a good, you know, a good uh, addition to one's practice is. Um, the flexibility with the primary meditation object. 
So this is when it's not possible anymore to lovingly ignore the processes. But it starts to become a kind of war, a kind of the like the tension, the tension of um, of I I want this is I want to stay engaged with the breath, but there is fear, or there is a physical discomfort. So a helpful direction, or ex- at least to experiment with that, is to let go somewhat of the initially medita- the initial meditation object, the breath, let that a bit into peripheral awareness, and take that which is which that which could be called a hindrance. You make that the primary meditation object. So you you make the tension in your right knee or the sadness or the anxiety the primary meditation object. Possibly not letting go of the breath completely, but like uh, Thich Nhat Hanh calls that breathing into or embracing the experience with the breath. So this is helpful because it becomes a, a part of unifying, unifying the mind. It's a healing process. And it doesn't matter with what kind of object you cultivate stable attention. It does not need to be a pleasant object. It can be any kind of object. It doesn't matter. The breath is being chosen in the Buddhist tradition or in other traditions because it's a profound meditation object where you have a lot of things to explore and it is available at any moment. Except in that moment after the last out-breath. So, don't, don't be too much attached to the meditation object breath, because then you are really getting into trouble <laughs> in, in that moment. Yeah. So what 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 do you want to have as a primary meditation object after the last out breath? Yeah. But still, it is a it is a helpful meditation object. Fascinating.